0: Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here at Church in the Square, and always grateful to get to open up God's Word with you. Continuing uh, in this time together, Romans 12. Grateful for our musicians leading us this morning. Thanks, so. all. Uh, he uh, us to do something pretty hard, I think, in this chapter. Uh, He wants us to offer our entire selves, our whole being in worship. This is what we've been navigating. This is what we've been trying to understand. What exactly does that mean as He opens up this particular portion? Um, Of course, there are there's this type of worship that is not just meant to be our voices, but it's meant to be this holistic idea that we're meant to be mindful of God in all that we do, but not just in these spiritual moments. I think maybe if we're given to the idea that we're not just supposed to worship when we sing and worship is not just when you are. I think sometimes we still can believe that worship is what happens when we open up our Bibles. Or worship is what happens when we're with other Christians. Or worship is what happens when this is a spiritually confined moment that somehow is baptized and is very clearly religious. But what I think Paul is getting at is that worship happens all the time. Worship is always going on. And so he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but rather what? Be transformed By the renewal of your mind. In other words, the way that you see and understand the whole world is meant to change when you come to Christ, not just what you do on Sunday mornings or on Thursday evenings or whenever you're with a particular collection of human beings, right? It's about the way that we see the world. That's worship. Worship, as one writer has even put it, is resisting being squeezed into the shape of this present age, which that happens all the time. I'm constantly having to resist being squeezed into the likeness of this present age, and I imagine you can relate. And this present age is about what's here and now, and it's really helpful for us to like, get a, a grasp, if you will, of what we are talking about when we say something like that to understand what Paul is writing about. We are in this present age. Specifically, it's the age of the kingdom of Jesus that he is inaugurated that is not yet fully revealed. So we see, for instance, when we go to places like Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We see sort of the sinews, the things of that nature starting to come to to grips, but we see that ultimately that's not always true. The fullness of the kingdom is not yet fully here, though we see it in increasing measure. The present age then sort of pressures and pushes us in a particular way that is contrary to our God-given design, and what we are designed for in terms of flourishing, not just to do in a particular day or in a particular way, but for the wholeness of our being to flourish, to be well, to be at peace. So Paul is go- goes on to tell us that this present age then wants to squeeze our thinking and specifically he said this present age wants you to think too much of yourself or too little of yourself. Too highly or too lowly is what we've navigated. But then he also says don't be conformed, in other words don't be squeezed, rather be transformed what? Into humility. Humility is the way that we see the kingdom coming in. Don't be conformed, be transformed into one body, members of one another. In our primary passage today, he'll tell us that this present age wants to squeeze us into using your powers, your abilities, your skills, or the language he's going to use is gifts, for your own glory and for your own good, for your own platform to meet your own needs but don't be conformed. He's going to say again, don't be conformed, be transformed into a member who blesses others with the gifts that you've been blessed with. As we've considered worship is about giving ourselves to God, and as we've flowed with Paul's teaching, we've learned about, in some respects, how to give ourselves to ourselves, about how to know who we are in Christ, to think with sober judgment. But then we learned last week about giving ourselves to our brothers and sisters, and today we'll consider how do we give ourselves to our calling? How do do we understand what it is that God has equipped us to uniquely usher in the kingdom together, if you will? And so, this is going to feel like for a long time, perhaps, in this message. Like, we're simply talking about the way you are specifically wired and how that fits in with the whole. But I think at the end, we'll see how this all comes into focus about the greater vision that God has for His people and for this, this world. So, that's what I'd like to talk about, that you've been uniquely blessed with gifts in order to bless other people. Now, for some of us, are like, Totally. I know exactly what that means. I know how I have been gifted, and I know how to bless other people. For others, that's the first time you're here. Like, nobody ever told me that, that I have been entrusted with some gifts and talents and abilities that are meant to actually bless others, not just to help with a paycheck, right? Not just to help you make a way in this world for yourself. It's an ancient calling, which I think is buried within the covenant that God made to the patriarch of our faith, Abraham. God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and I will make you a great nation, he says, and he says this, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You know, this is how God's blessings always work. He blesses you so you can bless somebody else. He blesses you so you can bless somebody else. It's never meant to only benefit you. It is meant to benefit you, right? It's not just meant to pass through you. You're just some sort of conduit to the next person's blessing. It is supposed to impact you. It's supposed to increase your faith. It's meant to simply meet personal needs, nor are we just supposed to be a set of people who come up with really good rules and practices and impose those on everybody else who didn't even ask our opinion, right? That's not the church either. What's the church? The church is the body of Christ who bears witness to his reality in this present age. That's what we're meant to do. We get it twisted a lot, don't we? You are called the body of Christ, I am called the body of Christ. Not so that my needs will get met, not so that your needs will get met, not so that we can all follow the right rules together, as we're meant to tell the truth to the world about who Jesus is. That's the body. And we bear witness, I think, to this blessing and to one another when we use the gifts he's entrusted to us in the ways that we are meant to use them. Right? When we all have stories when somebody's actually blessed us in a way, you know, Yo, that was like well beyond the timing was crazy. The way you responded was crazy. Like something else is going on here besides you using a skill that you have to do something in the world. Like the Lord is at work in that. That's what Paul is going to teach us about in Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. Here's how we'll shape our time together. First, we'll look at the giver of gifts. So what kind of God gives gifts? I think is an important question. And then we'll look at the gifts. Why does God give those gifts to us? And then the discovery of gifts. So what gifts do I actually have? How do we understand that? So we'll look at the giver, we'll look at the purpose, and we'll look at the discovery because God always talks in threes. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if you knew that, (laughs) but we'll do that today for our good, his glory. Let's pray. trouble that perhaps we're facing this week We do not have to just look within the void of ourselves or of earthly wisdom of this present age. We can look to the God who put all things together by the word of his power and holds them together the same way. And you speak to us, and so help us to be a people who listen. Uh, For some of us, we need healing, and so would your word heal us. For others of us, we need encouragement to get over a particular loss or a particular challenge that we're facing, and so we pray that you would be our encouragement For others of us, we need to be challenged, Uh, whether we are meandering in some uh, sin or foolishness or just confused and wandering. would you challenge us and give us clarity? We thank you that as brothers and sisters, no matter what we're going through as a family, your word, our Heavenly Father's word, always delivers. And so I pray that you would help us to be a people who listen and a people who don't just listen in that we hear you, but a people who listen in that we obey you. And give us that power today by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God, of course, is the giver uh, of the gifts, and we find this in places where uh, the Apostle James says pretty emphatically in James 1.17, he says, "...every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." And so when we say that God is a giver, we have to be careful to avoid, though, a few misconceptions. And I've been really impacted by uh, theologian Miroslav Wolf's, or uh, about God, rather, when it comes to his giving nature. Wolf talks about God the negotiator and God the Santa Claus. They, they are both wonderful caricatures that I think that we must avoid if we're to really understand the heart of God as a giver. Right? When it comes to the negotiator, when it comes to Santa Claus, there are different seasons and situations. I think that we go to one, so it's not was of these versions of God in order to get something that we want. So it's not like, are you team negotiator or team Santa Claus? Usually, depending on the situation, we like both. Like, both help us out in a pinch or so, so we presume. So there are a couple of misconceptions then within this present age, which perhaps unwittingly then shape us into this present moment without even knowing it, then these visions of God shape us into a particular way that we must resist. Essentially, God the negotiator is someone we make deals with in order to get gifts from Him. We make deals with Him in order to get gifts from Him. We see this kind of approach in all kinds of films and books for sure, but there there are things that happen in our hearts as well. We, We vow obedience, charity, generosity. Or some form of sacrifice in exchange for a second chance or a skill or a relationship. Sometimes they're even just like, they're not prayers usually that we sit down and we write out. It's just these little impulses like, God, if you help me get through this, I will what it, fill in the blank. Right? In, in other words, there's a spiritual negotiation going on that, God, I know you want obedience, so I'll obey if you provide or if you help. Wolf points out, even if we could entice God into making a deal with us, we, uh, we would have no way of enforcing compliance. Since God doesn't need anything and divine power infinitely exceeds human, God can break any contract, he says, give us a bit of cash as compensation and leave us out in the cold. So God negotiator is all about ceased it in. <laughs> right? That we have something that would be a fair trade. And this is the presumption to pull out from underneath that vision of God. God gives because we have somehow finangled a deal that he finds appropriate or deems worthy. But God doesn't make deals. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see God who is curious in exchanging things for his goodness, for his grace, for his gifts. What does he do instead? God gives because he loves not because we have something valuable to give him in exchange or to return. The other fallacy is God as Santa Claus which I think in our particular culture is pretty humorous, um, because a lot of us, maybe even as we're teaching our kids, sometimes Santa Claus becomes a caricature that's kind of helpful, right? He's someone who has all this stuff, right? And he's checking your moral, like, compass. Are you doing things good or right? And he's going to make a list and, I don't know, something like that. And there's a book of life, I guess. It's kind of li- so we have to be really careful, especially in this culture. See, this concept of God who primarily showers us with gifts, ostensibly without any strings attached. Both says that God is an infinitely rich, always available, unfailingly generous giver, or at least that's what we feel a God worthy of divinity ought to be, that God gives without conditions or without demands. But when you look a little bit more closely, Santa Claus for sure, but this version of God is cosmically manipulative, right? I mean, think about the, the way that we understand. through. Through, though for one vantage point, Santa gives without any conditions, right? It's a gift. His generosity, though, comes with these veiled threats and fear tactics. After all, he's making that list. He's checking it twice, going to see what who's naughty and who's nice. But ultimately, they're, they're, they're hollow threats, right? Because, I mean, as a parent, I'm like, we're probably not going to withhold the gifts. We actually, Amazon had them on a deal like three weeks ago. They're already some sort of peace of mind, So it's actually just kind of manipulation. He's going to give me whatever I want anyway, because that's what Santa does. That's what God does. So God, as Santa Claus, what happens? He doesn't really shape our character or transform our hearts. He just manipulates our behavior. He may get us to act right for a bit, for a season, the elf on the shelf style, right? We might be able to lord over us for just a second to get us to do things, but it will never transform the soul. See, God is not concerned just with manipulating your behavior. Did you know that? Actually, through relationship, he wants to transform your heart. He doesn't just want to get you to do right things because Lord knows we can do all the right things with the wrong heart and it means nothing. I know I can, but God gives to love and to transform us. So, Paul flows out of his teaching about Christian unity, essentially, especially rather within the local church level, into a generosity of God that God gives gifts. He says, having transform us. Look at verse 6, Romans chapter 12. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We have been given gifts, and they differ according to what? Grace. Grace is what? has been given to us. Grace is the impetus of, for God to give gifts. God gives gifts because he's gracious, not because we've offered him a good deal, not because we somehow have been naughty or nice in the appropriate proportion that nobody knows about, right? Grace is not a fair trade. Grace is not passive and unaffecting. The giver of gifts is gracious. This is central to Paul's teaching. And the reason we have to look at our misconceptions is because a lot of times and even grace gets filtered through a wrong view of God. But this is the centerpiece of why he is giving you a gift. Not because you've earned it, not because I have earned it. And I think this really comes down to our view of God. That ultimately, maybe with salvation we think it's by grace, but everything after that we easily can adopt a religious viewpoint of God. I know he saved me by grace, but now everything else is sort of based on some like religious stratosphere that we've put together ourselves by our own effort or by our own ingenuity. So what's the purpose behind all this? If God is a giver because of his grace, why does he give these gifts? We've already hinted at it a little bit. Within God's character, we realize that he gives primarily out of love and to demonstrate that love for us. He's not making a deal, he's not feeding consumerism, but Paul highlights something specific about the purpose of gift, which informs the entire rest of the passage. It may seem really, really obvious, but you know, I'm a preacher, I love to state like the very most obvious thing and make it sound profound. But just look at verse 6 again. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, what does it say? Let us use them. Can I just suggest to you, one of the primary purposes that God gave you a gift is to use it, is to use it. The purpose of gifts is to use them. Again, this might seem so obvious, but I think it's so easy for us to not use our gifts, to not use them. This is most apparent to me when we talk about things like church attendance or group participation. Regardless of what your habit is on Sundays or through the week with groups, a lot of times we feel guilty about missing out. We say something like, yeah, I know it's good for me to be there. I know it's good for me to be with the gathering, I know it's good for me to be with my group, I know all of those things. And and that is is absolutely true. These are fundamental contexts for our discipleship and community. Many of us have even had a hard time, particularly through their last season, of making it a habit to be present on Sundays and through our groups. But but ultimately, that's only half the story. It's only half the story that that the gathering and groups benefit you. You also benefit the group and the gathering. I, I, I think that's really good for us to remember. I often don't, don't hear that about, man, I really want to be there because I know I have something to contribute, and you do. It might even sound a little bit like, like prideful or hubris to believe that you offer something to the group. It's not. It's biblical. It's biblical that you have something to give to the community and to believe that my, part of my participation is meant to bless others, not just to receive. Am I preaching to you yet? Because when you're not here, we're not us. We're not us. We can't be. Neither are your gifts, the things that God has entrusted to you, able to be utilized to bless the community. And this should not be another hardship or a guilt trip, but another clarifying reason and purpose for which why we gather. To be sure, these are not simply used at groups and gatherings, your gifts that God has entrusted to you. But these are fundamental places where we are developed, where we are shaped, where we impact one another. I'm not trying to gas you or make you just feel really, really good <laughs> about yourself, like you have something to offer. You really are incredible. Like, it's, it's true, but it's not just about making you feel good about yourself. I'm, I'm simply trying to convey the truth of God's Word and the truth about the body. Paul told the church in Corinth this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That means that when you're not here, we don't have our arms. When you're not here, when you're not, we're missing our hands. Do you you see that it's, it's more than just like, oh, it was good to see you this week. Yes, it was good to see you. But also there's something about the way we function that I only know when you're here. There's something about the way I function that I only fully understand when you're all here, when we are all together See, when the body is not fully assembled, we all suffer. Why? Because one of us is not using the gifts that God has entrusted to them to bless the rest of the community. That's what Paul is getting at. This is the way that we see the world, not as individually. That's the way that this present age shapes you, to just see your spiritual formation in isolation, in in and of yourself, right? And that's true, and that's helpful. That's important to see God at work in you. But also, the way he's at work in you always has a contribution for the community, always has a contribution for your brothers and sisters. You see, within this illustration of the body, Paul has been employing here. We are meant to function and to be even known within and as a community. Our many gifts are meant to bless, encourage, equip, and help our brothers and sisters. You have been blessed to bless other people. You have been blessed to bless other people. Paul puts it this way in Ephesus. He tells them that they have all these different kinds of gifts. They have different gifts to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the full measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes that means I get confused without all y'all without all of you in my life I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be susceptible to, to be drawn in by something that maybe you could help me see that I couldn't on my own to be interested in something or to go off on a tangent and you're like that's, that's not for you that's because I've been there or I have this understanding of wisdom as cliche as it may sound we are not us when you are not with us you, we are not the people that God has called us to be whenever we're missing each other. See, and each of you, believe it or not, contribute in some fantastic ways to our community. You know, Erin O'Donnell here, this place is more joy that she brings to our community and to our fellowship, right? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Ashley, when you're here, like the truth is present when you show up and you speak truth and love to people. When I'm drinking coffee, I'm just like, I just got here, could we just like have a second, you know? <laughs> There are just ways that I think that that you bring that, you know. Um, Jason, I just feel peace when I'm around. I don't know what it is. Like, I could be just really frazzled, and then you're here, and I'm like, it's fine. Everything's okay. (laughs) You just have, like, engender this presence with our community that I think is lost when you're not here. You know, Bradley Anderson brings a kind of presence and wisdom that I miss when he's not around. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, it's more than just like generally it's nice to see all of you. And we could go on and on. And forgive me if you didn't want to be highlighted right now. It's what we do sometimes. Right? I, I, I think, but Blair, when you're not here, we're not ourselves. Sister, like Blair brings so much joy when Blair's, we drive by Blair's house and my kids just go, Blair lives there. Let's go stop. And I was like, not again. We can't stop by again. We're there too much. I mean, do, do you see, we all have these stories of one another. That when, when when you're not here, we're not we are meant to be dependent on one another and look to one another. Do you know this is even the way that scientists are finding we even share memories together? There are things I know I can forget because Laura will remember them. Biologically, my brain just goes delete because I trust that Laura has that information. Or you we are literally wired physically, biologically, to share memory and purpose and life together. We are not us when you are not here. I hope you see that's the purpose of gifts, to bless, to become who we cannot be on our own. And I have just seen over the past four, five, six, seven, you, trust us. you want to say this is when this church started, right? The Lord entrusts us with that and cultivate that more and more with us. I sense that on Friday night when our elders and deacons and staff got together and just tell one person, here's how you've encouraged me the past year. Like the Lord is shaping that in us because that's what it means to be the body of Christ. He's faithful to do that. See, God has entrusted each of us with unique and powerful ways to bless the community, and the evil one would love for you to think you are the exception to that rule. He would love that, that all you can do is come and take as opposed to give. But within and without our church family, within and outside of our church family, we've all been entrusted with this. And so, how do we discover those gifts? How do do we discover? Well, we've hinted at it already. One of the primary ways that we discover our gifts is to actually live in community. Community sort of does this to us naturally, right, as a body. In fact, if we uh, are a body, you cannot discover your gifts without being part of the body. Right? This is how you make sense of who you are by simply being joined as a body. This is with within without out sort of true community, you can't actually do this. Now, before Paul lists these seven different gifts in Romans 12 here, he says that we have all been given gifts that differ, but all of them come by grace. So part of the maturation process of every Christian is by grace to discern specific ways that God has blessed you, has blessed us, that I have been blessed to bless the church family. And the world. Again, this goes down to discover gifts. We're to, in community. It happens within the function of the body. And so when we're in community, we're to discover gifts. We're to be eager to understand, how is the Lord calling me? How has He shaped me? How has, how has He shaped me? How has He gifted me to participate in this body? How do we do this? First, we just need to watch others do their thing. There is something about watching somebody use their gifts that I just go, oh, That's really cool. And it makes me sort of like play that out. It's like, that's really awesome. And one of the reasons that's awesome is because I don't know how to do that. I feel like that a lot around the world. Like, that's amazing. That comes naturally to you. You enjoy doing that. That's fantastic because it blesses the community and our impact that other people have on us. And so this is one of the ways just in community, I start discovering and thinking about us. I was like, wow, that's cool that you do that. I never want to do that ever. Secondly, (coughs) I think sometimes we just see a need. We see an opportunity that somebody presents within the community that we live closely enough to to them that we get to know their desires to grow in wisdom or their need for childcare, their dreams, as I've heard some of you share, about building an app that organizes all the needs and resources of a neighborhood so that every need could be met. Or we simply discover a shared pain or a heartbreak or a heartache or a longing This happens within community, so I don't just see people use their gifts, I also get exposed to the needs and opportunities within the community. Thirdly, living within community invites us to just try something out and see see what happens. You know? You might, you might have thought, some of our group leaders, you know, they thought, I would, I'll never lead group. This is a bad idea for the kingdom if I open the Bible and ask questions of people, right? But then they began to do it, and they saw fruit produced. They saw people encouraged. They saw God's word being clarified. We, we try, perhaps, to serve in particular ways. We try to meet a need. We try to respond to an opportunity, and we see how does that impact his community. We give it a shot, right? Uh, Dr. Russell Moore explains in his book, Adopted for Life, He says in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination or introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in doing so, we see how God has equipped us to do so. We just begin to love each other. And as we love each other, we gravitate towards ways to serve one another. Now, the New Testament has four primary lists for what they often called spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, 11, which we read earlier, 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Some gifts are about leadership, teaching the Bible. Other gifts are about meeting specific spiritual or practical needs within the community. Some are reserved for offices of the local church, like elders uh, and deacons. And others are for anyone and everyone who follows Jesus. But they are all constantly, consistently given by the same grace, by the same Spirit expressed for the same purpose of serving one another. They're not meant to puff up. They're not meant to give us a sort of grand view of ourselves. In fact, they're supposed to draw us closer. They're meant to humble us. They're meant to build us up, not to separate, but to unify through diversity. We're many, yet we're one. The spiritual gifts then celebrate our diversity. They foster oneness. We bless one another through the ways that we have been blessed. Through the years, and perhaps many of you have taken these different spiritual Gifts assessment, there have been a lot of different ways to do it, but at least from my own recollection of these number of different things, there's at least like four specific consistent things that happen in all of these different ways of discovering our gifts. There's desire, there's affirmation, there's fruitfulness, and there's joy. Desire, affirmation, fruitfulness, and joy. Desire, Paul Paul says about uh, someone who wants to be an elder, like if you aspire to that, if you desire that, you aspire a noble task. That's good. So it's important to know what you actually desire to do. What are the things that come naturally, instinctively, because God shaped that in you. Not only that, but there's affirmation. It's also important that when you go, I really want to do this, that other people think, yeah, it's good when you do that too. Because sometimes it's like, I really want to do this. And they're like, yo, we love you. That's a whole lot of something you may never need to be doing ever again, right? <laughs> but we love you. But we love you. 1 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. This is actually good for us to clarify how is it that God has uniquely called you. There's also fruitfulness. There should be fruit. So it's not just that I have this desire and other people think I should do it too. But when you look at the life and the lives that you have impacted or the ways that people live as a result of you using your gifts, you go, I behave, I can't speak this way. Some of you are shocked even to hear. People just go, look, when when you open the Bible and say this, like, I don't see the same thing you do. Or the way you come alongside it, I didn't even know there was a need and you've already met it. How did you do that? How did you read their mind? How did you draw close enough to them to know that that was going on? There's desire, there's affirmation, there's fruitfulness, and then lastly, there's joy. Having desired it, affirmed it, seen the fruit, we then experience this kind of uh, gospel elation, if you will, that in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for we stand firm in your faith. Our gifts used within community and for the good of the community ought to bring joy. Maybe you grew up in a religious context that said if, you may, if, if it makes you happy, it's probably bad, right? That if doing that, you like are really excited and like you want to do it again, like, well, that, you're just getting a big head and you need to like be quiet, sit in the back or whatever. I don't know. Like that joy is somehow um is a deterrent from using a gift but that's not the case in the scriptures see all these things being equal what gifts are there well here's what paul says he focuses on seven look at the third portion of verse six on through eight he says if prophecy and purport exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness notice there's not only these gifts but these implications of how you're meant to use them within community because the gifts have been given to be used in community In fact, exercising these gifts, they even require community. What's serving if there's no one to serve? What's exhortation if there's no one to exhort? What's teaching if there's no one to listen and to be taught? What's leadership if there's no love or no passion for others? Let's look at these very briefly. So, by God's grace, through His Spirit, He may just, like, be whispering to you and go, yo, I want you to think about this one. The prophecy is about speaking the Word of God with authority. And Paul says that these messengers should speak within the boundaries of the faith, not contradicting Christian doctrine, but they enjoy, they see fruit, there is affirmation when they say things like, thus saith the Lord. Here's what I think God is saying to our community. Secondly, he talks about serving. Serving is about practical ways of meeting needs, perhaps through skills of administration or order or Excel spreadsheets to somehow bring you life, Right? That that kind of work is some, and this is someone who's been gifted in serving. By using this gift, you bless a lot of people. Teaching, it's about explaining the Word of God with truth and with clarity and humility. This could be in a classroom, it could be at a dinner table, it could be with your group or with your family or colleagues. The gift of teaching comes in many different forms, but the way it is affirmed is that there is truth and clarity and joy whenever you teach. There's exhortation. Exhorting is a wonderful word that means to come alongside someone with encouragement, whether in what you do or say or just your presence. You know, some of y'all, as I mentioned earlier, you just show up and it's like everything's going to be fine. There's something about you being in the room, being in this space, or being with me when I'm sad or happy. I just know that things are good. This is someone who comes alongside, this gift demonstrating. Maybe you write loving notes to people, or you even have a gift of being a professional counselor. Someone who comes alongside, has a listening ear, and is able to exhort, sometimes without even saying a word. Others have generosity, or what Paul describes as contribution. he says to do that in your giving. The gift uh, is often about resources and money, but it doesn't have to be. People with this gift of love, giving in unusual kinds of ways— And proportions. They do it with wisdom, they do it with joy beyond what might seem standard, what might seem appropriate in other settings and in other places. Leadership, it's about getting people to follow, whether it's overseeing a family, it's overseeing a trip, a group, a ministry, a church. The gift of leadership helps to paint a picture of a preferred future and helps to connect the dots for people as mercy. It's about seeing and responding to people's needs. In particular i think this person has the uncanny ability to see with disproportionate compassion the poor the disenfranchised those with material and basic needs perhaps many of us through the hustle of life fail to remember our neighbor the way that be people who are gifted with mercy constantly slow down the hustle and say let's not forget about the people that jesus said don't forget about it's a person gifted with mercy so as you hear these gifts and i encourage you to read back through them this week perhaps you desire one or a few of them. Has has it been affirmed then by others? Have you you used this one in the context of your community? Someone said, yes, you have got that gift of mercy. Does it bring you joy? Does it produce fruit? If so, there's good reason to believe that God has uniquely gifted you to serve your church family in that way. This is what you bring when you show up. You bring mercy, you bring teaching, you bring truth, you bring clarity, you bring leadership and generosity. These are ways that we are not us without you here. Because I look at this list and I'm like, I don't got all of those things. See, so very specifically we read this text and we go, we all need to show up because we need all of those things. We need leadership, we need serving, we need teaching, exhortation, prophecy, leadership, mercy, generosity, and one of those things, or many of those things are not here if you're not. This is what we're getting at. These are not the only gifts, but considering one from of these lists of four I think is healthy, it begins sort of a conversation, if you will, with the Holy Spirit of how have you gifted and called me. Nobody has all of these except for one person, Jesus. See, and that's why when the more we come together and the more we bless one another with these gifts, the more the body tells the truth to the world about who he is. Do you see this? This is what we do in this present age. When the church uses their gifts, we give a fuller picture of the kingdom of Jesus in this dark and present evil age. This this is why we need each other. This is why we all need to be together, not just for your encouragement and mine, but so we tell the truth to the world about who our God is, what He's like, that is irreflective of this present age. There's something about that community, not perfect, not, not one of them, and yet together, they speak this word. They speak this community. They speak this love. They speak this power. See, in other words, the more this present age attempts to squeeze us into its own mold, the more that the church is meant to fight back and, by God's grace and power, squeeze this world into His image and likeness. That's what happens when we show up together. Can you imagine that? Sometimes we just show up and go, coffee's here. Awesome. You know, praise God, because some of you are gifted in that. You bring the coffee and you know which coffee we're supposed to have here, right? But there's something that we actually do on a cosmic level when we show up is we push back the kingdom of darkness. It's lost on us. sometimes. It's lost on me often. Because the last thing the evil one wants for a church to do is to know why they've been put on this planet. The last thing the evil one wants is then for us to find each other and put this thing together. Like, oh, if we stop competing with each other and being jealous of one another, die to ourselves, use our gifts to bless, you imagine what's going to happen? You imagine what's going to happen to this neighborhood? You imagine what's going to happen to this city and to this world? This is, of course, why Jesus died. He died to save us from eternal consequence and separation from him and from each other. He died to glorify the Father and to make us, his family, a people who join him in ushering in this new age. See, when this illustration one day of the body is going to mean to be unnecessary one day. Did you know that? Why? Because we will be face to face with Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son himself. It's not going to be an illustration anymore. We're going to be with him. Because we will be made like him. See, the giver of gifts is gracious. The purpose of your gifts is to bless others. The discovery of your gifts requires community. And when we walk through this together, we become this living embodiment of Jesus Christ, who is no longer shaped by this world, but who begins to shape this world in the image and likeness of our King, our King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if this is going to, right now, shame and guilt are telling us that that's impossible. I just know that's what happens. When your word goes out, the evil one hates it. He hates when it's clear. He, he hates when someone is encouraged. He hates when someone is experiencing mercy. He hates when leadership and generosity are winning the day and not confusion and disorder and greed And so, Father, help us to embrace our gifts for our good, the good of our church family, and so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is no light work you've given us to do. This is a heavenly, joyful work that you have invited us into by your grace to be the body of Christ in this present age. And so help us. I pray for my sisters and my brothers who believe and have believed for a long time that the church is just a place for them to come and to benefit from, but they've not been entrusted with any gifts. I pray that that lie would die today. I pray that the gifts of prophecy and of leadership and of teaching, of mercy, of generosity, of exhortation, would these things come alive at church in the square, not so that the names of those who have been gifted with them, would be remembered, but so that the name of Jesus would be revealed to be the beauty and truth that it is. Help us with that, Father. Empower us by your Spirit. Give us joy in that. May we see much fruit as a result. For your glory, our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.